Every life is a story. You've probably heard it explained that way before. In fact, if you look at around the, uh, the auditorium this morning, as you look at, at each other, you know that each person's life contains a story or maybe a collection of stories, experiences that people have gone through, whether they be, be uh, uh, times of, of sorrow or times of celebration. There are, there are stories woven within our lives that really uh, capture who we are. This Christmas season, we're going to be looking at stories. We're going to be looking at some true stories that, uh, that describe people's lives who surrounded the greatest story, the narrative of Jesus Christ. Someone has once uh, written the words that everyone, every life has a story to tell, a lesson to teach and wisdom to share. Life, it's a beautiful masterpiece bound together by your experiences. So we're going to be looking at stories and we're going to be considering what they meant at that time and what they mean to us today so that as a church, we can be preparing ourselves for the Christmas season that we can be ready to celebrate and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ at the time that we celebrate his birth. Every life has a story and we're going to be looking at just regular Ordinary lives, ordinary people in, in many cases who had something extraordinary happen to them that allowed them to contribute to the greatest story that was ever told. As we look week by week, we're going to be looking into their lives. And, and I hope that what it will do is give us a sharper focus on the life of Jesus Christ and what it meant when he first came into the world. We begin with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. You've already heard uh, briefly from Elizabeth this morning, haven't you? Uh, and we're going to look at it in greater detail in Luke chapter 1. I invite your attention to Luke chapter 1 this morning as we can consider Zechariah and Elizabeth. Before Luke introduces us to Joseph and Mary, there is another couple that he wants us to be acquainted with. Uh, we, Lord willing, will be looking at Joseph and Mary uh, next week. But today we're going to be looking at Zechariah. Your Bible might call him Zacharias and his wife, Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest at the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, his wife uh, uh, was named Elizabeth. They were an older couple with no children. But they are described as people who had a steadfast commitment to God. They were faithful. And uh, they would be used by God to play a pivotal role in the days preceding the birth of Jesus. I know some of the other stories that we'll be looking at over the next few weeks will be stories that are familiar to you. And this one may be as well, but it might not be as familiar as some of the rest. But it sets such a good tone for us as we move forward to the day uh, in which we celebrate the birth of Christ. May, may this story, the story of Zechariah, and Elizabeth also uh, help us understand the magnitude of what was happening at that time. So we're going to look at beginning in verse 5. And it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. 
We're going to continue reading. We're going to look at a lot of chapter one this morning. But let's just pause for a minute and and think about the context of what is said in verse five. It says that it was in the days of Herod, which if you remember what was taking place as described in the second chapter of Matthew, Herod was was a a, a ruler that was put over the the people of Israel uh, by the Roman Empire. Uh, he was one who was was holding on to power at any cost. In fact, if anyone was was viewed as a threat to his power, he would even have him put to death, whether it was a family member or in the case of many young children under the age of two, he had them put to death because he didn't want anyone to be a threat to his power, to his throne. He was a paranoid tyrant. And so this was the day and age in which they were living. This was the, the, the context in which Zechariah would minister as a priest there at the temple. We see that he, Zechariah, was a descendant of Aaron. And so this is what uh, uh, made him a priest. He came down the lineage, the priestly lineage. And so did his wife, Elizabeth. They uh, uh, they had many priests at that time because the, the, the entire lineage of, of Aaron would serve as a priest. And so they divided these thousands of priests up into about 24 divisions. And they would they would serve on a rotation, usually about one week uh, for about every 24 weeks. And then it would come around again. So about two times a year where they would really have a lot of responsibility uh, there around the temple. And you can think about the role of the priest in the sacrificial system and what all that would mean in terms of preparing animals and cleaning and being a part of all the sacrifices that would be happening. And so this was an occasion in which Zechariah, it was his week of service. He was on duty, and yet he was going to have a very special responsibility because there was also a role in which one of the priests among all of them would get to go to the table of incense, and he would get to, to pray a very special prayer. And he would get to put the uh, the coal on the incense, which would would symbolize the prayers of the people. And so uh, this was where where we pick up uh, uh, in 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 the life of Zechariah. He has this special privilege. In fact, as we'll read through the text, you'll see that it was even determined by the drawing of lots on which priest got to do this special responsibility. And this time it was Zechariah. So if you think about it, year after year, they, these priests would have a week or two of service, year after year. But how often would their lot get chosen where they got to be the one to be at the altar of incense, where they got to say the prayer, where they got to be right in front of the curtain that would separate the altar of incense from the Holy of Holies. You remember that curtain, don't you? You remember that curtain as it would be torn in two from top to bottom, right, at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Well, that's where Zechariah is in this occasion, standing in front of that curtain. And he's praying a prayer that is known as the Shemana Esri. And it's, it's actually a, a collection of about 18 prayers spoken and prayed to the Lord God Almighty for one purpose. And that was to pray that God would send the Messiah. They had been waiting for years for the the rescuer, the redeemer to come and to save them. And so so year after year, week after week, there would be prayers given to God asking him to send his Messiah. So here he is doing what is what might be a once in a lifetime opportunity. And yet what Zechariah experiences there at the altar of incense is nothing 
like what any other priest had ever experienced. It's very unusual. And so we want to pick back up in verse 8 and see how his experience was so different from the rest. Look at verse 8 with me. It says, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot. So it's kind of like drawing straws to see who gets the special responsibility, right? To enter uh, the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. What an experience for Zechariah. He knew what he was going to do, but he had no idea that he was going to have an encounter with an angel. In fact, the angel addressed him by name and the angel said, your prayer has been heard. And you might think, well, what what prayer is he talking about? He goes on to say that he's going to have a son and his name would be John. Do you think the angel might be referring to the prayer that John and excuse me, that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth might have had all these years for a son? Some some think that that may be what he was referring to. But if you think about the fact that they were well advanced in years, that probably isn't the prayer he was referring to. What was the prayer that Zechariah had just prayed? That he had prayed at the altar of incense right in front of the curtain? He prayed that the Lord Most High would send who? The Messiah. And now the angel is standing there calling him by name and saying, Your prayer's been heard and you're going to have a son. Now, Zechariah obviously didn't expect this encounter. He was, he was struggling to understand what it all meant. Uh, in fact, this was such uh, an amazing experience because it had been a long time since God had spoken to the people of Israel. Do you realize that generation after generation after generation had lived in a period of time known as the, uh, the, 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 the silence of heaven? A 400-year silence. There was no prophet that was given a word from the Lord at that time. Nothing. They had to go all the way back to Malachi to remember a time in which God had a message for the people of Israel. And during this long silence, there had been a lot of activity in Israel. There had been the, the Persian Empire. There had been a time in which the Egyptians came up. There was now the Roman Empire that was, that was uh, there. There had been a time where the Greek Empire had been a part of, of, uh, of, of the landscape. So there had been a lot of activity, but no word from God. Think about that. They had to go back to Isaiah or Jeremiah or, or one of the, the minor prophets, the last one being Malachi. To have a word from God for them until this moment. It's as if the silence of heaven was now broken. The silence was over and an angel who would be identified as Gabriel had a word from God. And Zechariah, the first one in 400 years, would be the one to get to receive 
this message. I don't know if uh, if any of you have ever traveled to Alaska or not, but you know that up in Alaska, uh, the the way that that uh, that the that the sunlight and darkness works there is a little different than it is here in the Midwest, right? Uh, we were there one time in the month of June, and there was a lot of sunlight, and I was told, well, just wait, come back in December, and there's there's a lot of darkness, right? Because of the the uh, uh, it being so far north. In fact, I I read that the that the residents of Barrow or Point Barrow, Alaska, has anybody been to the the, the, the tip of northern Alaska. It's, it's above the, the Arctic Circle. And uh, the sun sets on November the 18th. And do you know when it rises again? January the 23rd. Yeah, they, they don't put that in their travel information, I'm pretty sure, right? That's how long it's dark. Well, that's what it was like for the people of Israel. It had been dark for generation after generation. And they were waiting to see some sunlight, that ray of light once again. That's what was happening. That's the context of what is happening here for Zechariah. And I think it's, it's fascinating when we look at what the name Zechariah means. We put some of these, these uh, uh, meanings up on the screen for you if you want to uh, see. The name Zechariah, it means God remembers. How appropriate that God would come to speak after all these years, to a, a common, ordinary priest named Zechariah, who would draw the lot where he got to be the guy that was praying the prayer at the altar of incense. And yet, you know, behind the scenes, God was orchestrating it all, even with the name that Zechariah had been given, the name God remembers. And what about his wife, her name Elizabeth? What does it mean? It means the oath of God. So you put that together, and in Zechariah and Elizabeth, what you see is God remembering His oath. God remembering His promise. And in, in this occasion, it was the Messiah. It was the big promise. It was the one that they had all been waiting for, generation after generation. Now, in the drama that we, we saw earlier, uh, didn't she do a great job as, as Elizabeth? She said, God had not forgotten He'd not forgotten us. And at the end, she said, and he would never leave us alone again. Folks, I want to tell you, there was the first rays of sunlight coming out that day. For the first time, the, the sunrise of the Messiah was on the horizon. And it was unlike anything that they had ever seen before. But they had heard about it. And they had prayed for it. And now they were going to be able to experience it, particularly Zechariah and Elizabeth, in a very personal and real way. For they were going to have a son whose name was John. And John, it's interesting, means the Lord is gracious. And so this John is who we know as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist would be the forerunner. He would be the one preparing the way for Jesus Christ. Yes, a little older, just by months, right? But he would be the one that would help prepare the way for Jesus to, uh, uh, to, to be able to be identified. Well, how did Zechariah take all of this? Let's pick back up in the, in the account. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. And the, an the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent 
to speak to you and to bring you this good news. He had a special, special word from one who stood next to the presence of God. Think about the magnitude of this messenger and the message in which he was bringing to Zechariah that day. And behold, verse 20, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So Zechariah, uh, he was struggling, wasn't he? Trying to, to understand if he could believe all that was happening. And so the angel addresses him and even says that, uh, that you will not be allowed to speak until the birth of your son. Just imagine, this priest is now going to be voiceless for months. Not able to say a thing. He's going to be able to write some things down, but he's not going to be able to talk. And some even speculate if he was able to, to listen. You'll see as we read later in, the, in, the, in the, uh, the verses that that might be a possibility as well. But we know certainly that he couldn't speak. So he was going to have a lot of time to contemplate the magnitude of what was happening. He was going to be thinking about what all this meant with the coming of his son who would be named John. Look at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. I realize we've jumped over quite a bit. We'll go back to some of that next week, Lord willing. But I want us to keep the, the account of uh, Zechariah together. So now we fast forward. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And look at verse 62. It says, and they made signs to his father. Okay, that's where you get the idea that maybe, maybe poor, poor Zechariah not only couldn't speak, but maybe he was having trouble hearing too, because uh, they're, they're trying to communicate with him, right? Inquiring what he wanted him to be called, verse 63. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. This is very unusual. There were names that were given through family lines, and this, this wasn't one of them. Look at verse 64. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. <laughs> Can you imagine what all they were experiencing here? Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty terrifying time. They'd not seen, you know, here you have a, a, a family that, that, uh, that, that, that had not a couple that had not even had a child. They were they were advanced in age, and now they were having a baby. And the father couldn't speak for all these months, and now all of a sudden he's able to speak. They knew something about this was very different than what they'd seen before. Let's continue reading in verse 65. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, "What then?" Will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now I want to point out something here. We aren't even at the birth of Jesus yet, are we? And there's already questions circulating. What does this mean? What will this child be all about? What is going on with this situation with, 
with, Je- with Zechariah and Elizabeth and this, this name for their baby, John. All of this is so unusual. What does it mean? It says that, that, that it was talked about all over the area. People were, were chatting and discussing what was taking place. But if you notice, in verse 64, Zechariah was able to speak again. Do you notice what it says he did at the very beginning? There at the end of verse 64, it says he spoke blessing God. After all these years, all these months, excuse me, of not being able to speak, the first thing that he does when he's able to speak is to give a word of blessing. And you know what? That word has been preserved for us to read. It's a word that is described as a prophecy. Sometimes it's described as a song. Uh, in fact, um, Next week, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at the Song of Mary, which is called the Magnificat. Well, this is also a song with a Latin name called the Benedictus. And it comes from the first two words of the Latin translation of verse 68. The first two words in the English say, blessed be, or your version might say, praise be. Well, in the Latin, that word is Benedictus, where we get the, uh, the word benediction, right? It's praise. It's blessing. And this is, this is, this is known as the Benedictus from verse 67 all the way to verse 79. And so we're going to read it together. You'll notice that it's basically two sentences or two stanzas if you think of it as a song. And within that, there is so much that Zechariah is, is, is wanting to say and to communicate about this experience. In fact, it begins in verse 67 by saying that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now, isn't that interesting? How long it had been? How long had it been since they had had prophecy? How many? 400 years. So, folks, you can go back to Malachi and you can read what he said. And then you have to go 400 years on the timeline to get to Zechariah to find the next prophecy. Here it is. That's what we're going to read. This is what God now is ready to communicate by His Holy Spirit through Zechariah. And it begins in verse 68 by saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Let's stop right there. I know that was one very long sentence, wasn't it? We'll look at, we'll look at another one here in just a minute that will conclude His Benedictus. But, but, but I want us to think for a moment about what all was being communicated here. The way that it begins by saying blessed be or praise be is very significant. You have to remember that Jesus came through the, through the line of the house of David, as it says here. And it's interesting that, that the, the way in which Zechariah began his word of praise is very similar 
to the way in which King David also began a word of praise. Let's look very quickly at 1 Kings chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 48. This is when Solomon, his son, was coming to the throne. And this is what David said. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, my own eyes seeing it. How does that compare to the way in which, in which uh, Zechariah began the psalm? His song says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. The same beginning was not a coincidence. Here we have King David speaking about his son, but now we have the son, the ultimate son, who came down the lineage of David, who would be the fulfillment of all the prophecy. So we have the first son of David and the ultimate son of David being celebrated with identical praise to God. In fact, if you were to go through and look at this song, this Benedictus of, uh, of Zechariah, and you were to go back and see all of the different places that he's drawing from the Old Testament, First Kings being one of them, you would find at least seven different Old Testament books and some of them referenced more than once. So that, that might be might be a Bible study that you'd want to do sometime is to, to take Luke chapter 1, this, this section, and then go back into the Old Testament and see where it was mentioned in, in the, the days of, of, uh, of Abraham or when it was mentioned back in uh, the time of David. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You have Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and even Malachi, all either alluded to or quoted in this, in this uh, Benedictus. Well, we see that there are, are stanzas that are, that are given to us. And what I want to do with this is I want to offer this Benedictus, this prophecy, this song of Zechariah to us today as a way to prepare our hearts for Christmas. Because within, within the context of what Zechariah was doing, he was listing reasons for praising God. He begins by saying, praise be the God of Israel, blessed be the God of Israel. And then he lists why. And I just want to pull out a few of those to say, you know, even today, as we are at the end of November looking forward to Christmas Day, we can see that this is a season in which we, like Zechariah, can be reminded of what the birth of Jesus actually means and the difference that it makes to our lives because of its importance. So here's the first reason. The first reason is that God has come. In fact, the word that is used in verse 68 is the word visited. He has visited. And we haven't read verse uh, 70. Nine, or excuse me, 78 yet, but we will also see that word visit is used at the end. It's as if that's the theme of the song. God has visited us. God has come. Yes, maybe there has been 400 years of silence, but now He has come. He has visited us in a very special way. This word come or visit is not just is not just speaking like two neighbors visiting together. This is a much more powerful word. It's it's speaking of watch care. It's speaking of of, of coming alongside and providing. 
And so he begins by saying, God has visited us. He's come back. He's not forgotten his promise. Yes, it was it was a fulfillment of prophecies that were hundreds of years old, but they are now coming to fruition in our lifetime. And we standing on the other side of the life of Christ look back upon that day. And how much more can we agree with Zechariah and say, yes, he has visited us. He has come. He's made himself known. The second thing he says is that God has redeemed us. Again, look there at verse 68. He says, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now, it's interesting. He's speaking here like a prophet because he's speaking as if it had already happened. But had Jesus been born yet at this point? Not yet. But he's already saying he has redeemed us. He is saying it with the certainty of a prophet that it's about to happen. And now again, we, looking back on that time, can say, yes, yes, he has redeemed us. What does this word redeem mean? It means to be set free by paying a price. And folks, if Zechariah could look forward at the birth of Christ and call it redemption, how much more can you and I, looking back at the cross, can we say, yes, he came to redeem He paid the price. In fact, he paid the price with his own life. It's one thing for someone to to redeem another by by giving and, 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 and giving something that's costly, but to give one's own life. He paid the ultimate price. So yes, he has redeemed us. He has rescued us. He has bought us back so that we would not have to 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 endure the penalty of our sin. That's what this whole idea of redemption, of being redeemed, is all about. Zechariah is seeing that it's happening, and so can we. Let's continue reading. Look at verse 69. He starts speaking here of salvation. and In fact, it's, it's referenced a number of times throughout the song. But I like the way it's described in verse 69. He calls it a horn of salvation. This word horn gives us quite a picture, doesn't it? Gives us quite an image. Maybe you think of the, the, the horn of a ram and you see that that's, that's its strength. Or the, 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 the horn of a bull. You think of different animals that, that have horns. It's, it's to protect. It's to be able to, to overcome the enemy. And that's how the salvation that Jesus would bring was being described. So on one hand, he says, we've been set free. We've been paid with a, by, paid for by a price. Redemption, but now it's salvation. And within that, we are being protected by the strong arm of a holy God. And it's even being described as a horn of salvation. So don't miss the images that are here. The images of salvation. Yes, the enemy was defeated and he cannot capture the prisoners any longer. Because He is a God of redemption, He is also a God of salvation. Well, that brings us into the second verse of Zechariah's song. And in part, he addresses some of this to his son. So let's pick back up in verse 76. And you, child, speaking of who? John, John the Baptist. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. 
and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Did you get that? All of this is happening. Why? Because of the tender mercies of God. Look at the end of verse 78. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness. And in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. Well, here's one final reason. I'll try to be very quick on this one. God brought light and life to us. Even as we were singing this morning, we had songs referencing the light. The light and the life that is pictured in Jesus Christ. And put that against the backdrop of what was happening in Zechariah's day. 400 years of darkness. And now those first rays of the sunrise were coming forth. And Zechariah knew it was happening. The promised Messiah was coming. And for some reason, God was going to allow him and his wife to bear a son named John the Baptist who would prepare the way for the coming of Jesus the Messiah. In fact, if you look at what the angel told Zechariah in in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, you will see that it's very similar to the closing words of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4. Those words read this way. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. This was the prophecy of 400 years ago. And here's what Gabriel says to Zechariah, verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Folks, do you get what's happening here? It's all coming together. It's all being fulfilled from Malachi to Luke, from Malachi to Zechariah. We have him explaining that the light had come. In fact, Isaiah chapter 9 speaks of a time in which people are walking in darkness. And yet here in Luke chapter 1, we see it expressed that, 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 that the sun rise shall visit us from on high. Zechariah gets it. Some, some translations use the word day spring. And sometimes Jesus is referred to as the day spring. What does that mean? It's talking about sunrise. It's talking about the light coming The darkness being over, or as we read earlier, the shadow of death disappearing. Folks, that's what we have even today as we look at Christmas. The opportunity to remember what Jesus has brought. And I pray that that even in the midst of a season that's filled with activities, filled with with traveling and filled with with purchasing gifts and, and preparing for all kinds of things, May we begin and mark the beginning of this season after the way Zechariah did. May we mark it with praise. Praising God that yes, He did visit us. That He did come to rescue, to redeem us, to save us. In fact, if you look at Malachi 4 verse 2, you'll see the imagery of light given. Let's look at this verse. 
But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. But look at the last part of that. It says, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Now, how many people here have cattle? Anybody here have cattle? Not many. Okay. <laughs> we have a couple. Yeah, there are a few. Um, I grew up, my grandparents had cattle. I remember going to their farm in southeast Kansas and seeing these little calves. My parents now have cattle. Uh, my wife, in fact, her grandparents had cattle there in central Arkansas. And in fact, she learned one of the lessons about how difficult it can be when you when you name farm animals. You ever you ever heard what happens when you have a some of you are nodding your head. You have a cute little white calf that you named Whitey. That's right, Whitey. And uh, so the calf's name was Whitey. And there was a day in which she looked out and Whitey just wasn't there anymore. Poor Whitey, right? Karen said she didn't eat beef for a year, right? <laughs> Well, some of you have not been around young calves to see what it's like when they go forth from the stall. Take a look at a little picture of these cute little calves running and frolicking. That's the picture that Malachi is trying to give to people who lived in an agrarian culture. They would understand what a calf coming out of the stall would look like. Do you know what Zechariah was feeling that day? Zechariah was feeling, even as an aged man, as if he was that one who'd been let out of the stall. He was, he was so excited. He was filled with joy. The light had come. The Savior was coming. The Messiah was coming forth. The silence was over. Yes, the 400 years of silence and Zechariah's nine months of silence. It was over. And now the sun was coming. A new day was dawning. The Messiah was here. Folks, we have that opportunity. And I know we've been through a lot of Christmases and a lot of celebrations. And we've read these texts time and time again. But can we let these stories give us eyes to see it this year? Eyes to, to be able to give praise under God, unto God for visiting us, for rescuing us, for saving us. Let's bow together and ask God to help us to understand this light that has dawned. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for the example of Elizabeth and Zechariah. These faithful people that you chose to use and bless in a very remarkable way. And may the song of Zechariah speak to us today. May it temper our thoughts as we move through this Christmas season. May it put within our minds the magnitude of what that day meant then. And dear Lord, what it can mean for us even today. Father, may we be able to share the good news as they did. That in that time, it might have been the region of Judea. Lord, may it be our region today where we're able to share what this season is all about. May it fill our hearts and our minds and may it lead us to praise. For we give this to you now, Lord, as our praise. 
We pray, Lord, also as the ushers come now to receive the offering that you will bless what is given. May you use it for your purpose, both in our city and around this world. We pray this now in the mighty name of Jesus, the day spring, the sunrise, the son of David. We pray this in his name and all of God's people said, Amen.